tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Sex scandals, deals, and hidden agendas of nine political wives. And we're talking with the author of a book, Why They Stay. Anne Michaud is our guest. She's a political journalist and author. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. This is a book of biographies about political couples focusing on the wives who stay with their cheating politician husbands. Anne is an award-winning journalist right now with Crane's New York Business. In the past, she's been with Wall Street Journal and Newsday. Well, I think I've probably caught you at a break from the keyboard working there at Crane's New <laughs> mm-hmm. York. Yes, that's absolutely true. So what's the pulse of business these days before we jump into your book? What are people interested in reading most about? Well, the city just got a new mayor, office January 1st. So there's a lot of anticipation about what that's going to mean. And boy, uh, so many changes trying to walk our way out of the pandemic in terms of seeing how the hospitality industries are coming back or not. A little anticipation, a little bit of anxiety. Yes, all of the above. So we want to talk about your book today, Anne, and then, of course, the creative process that went into it. This book, Why They Stay, about political marriages, more from the wife's point of view, I think, as I was reviewing Mm -hmm. it. The, The question, I mean, we're seeing the scandals in the marriage unfold, and it is exactly the question we are screaming at the TV screen. Why do they stay? What did you find? Well, I wanted to look at the wives because for that very reason that you mentioned that these scandals come and go and um, we focus on the men and and, uh, many people have have written about why do they cheat? But I thought, let's turn that around and, and look at the other human being in this equation. I did a lot of research. Many couples starting in my book, we start in the 30s with the Roosevelts. I think I found that there were reasons they stay that are common to any couple that goes through this kind of a crisis in their marriage. For example, they want security. They want to, they're feeling responsible for the family's emotional health. But I think that there are also reasons that are particular to political couples that I also was able to trace across the eight couples that I profiled. And I think you see that they have a sense of patriotism for what they want to achieve in the world. And and that was one of the elements of them getting together in the first place. They have an ambition to build a legacy for themselves as a couple and also for their children and family. And I think that they, in some senses, are submitting to advice from the political parties who are saying, you know, you want to keep your electability, you want to keep the women's vote. Yeah. This thread that went through of the political ambition for the wife, too, this wasn't just a stand by your man kind of a thing. There was also the ambition of the other spouse. I think you you do find it, and it varies, I would say. Melania Trump is not someone who's got political ambitions, but obviously Hillary Clinton. And I found even with some people I didn't talk about in this book, like Elizabeth Edwards, who was married to John Edwards, who was a senator from North Carolina. She was confronted with the fact that he was having an affair 
and even had a child with another woman. And she wrote about this in her memoir called Resilience. She said, you know, when I came across that, the issues that we had worked on together to eliminate poverty in the United States became a glue that held me together, that held my family together and and helped me move forward. You know, on the one hand, you go all the way back to the Roosevelt's, but you even went back further into (laughs) English history. What are some of the connections between the more distant past? I was looking for a metaphor to describe this sort of mindset of women who are in a position of, one could say, ruling or authority or power, but also a way to sort of take a look at the motivations of somebody in this position. And so I I the woman in history, um, Elizabeth Woodville, who was known as the White Queen in the War of the Roses, the Red and White Roses. She used marriage as a way to navigate her way through the world. And back then, there were many fewer, that was the 1400s, there were many fewer ways for a woman to thrive and do well. And so I thought it was a little bit of a contrast between her times and how she made her way and, and what we have today with women have so many more opportunities for financial independence and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And certainly sometimes we have to look at some of these scandals from a historical perspective, but this is even the second edition of your book. I mean, the the stories keep unfolding. Do you see a pattern that even as you might look at some of these political couples today, do you see a pattern that might, I'll say, predict? You're not necessarily looking into a crystal ball as a writer or reporter, but are there signs and signals? I think you see people who are very, have been raised very traditionally. And I mean by that sort of this idea of patriarchal traditions where men and women play certain roles. There's a rightness to the type of person you associate with socially. All of these kind of rules seem to predict that a couple will err on the side of caution in terms of breaking up the marriage. And Anne, I was very uh, interested in talking to you about the creative process that goes into a book like this. Uh, You're a reporter by training and trade, and yet this reads very much like a novel. (laughs) I mean, it's nonfiction, but it's got a pace and a tone to it. How did you find yourself balancing the just the facts with telling the story? Well, I think um, I reached deep into my frustration as a many years journalist (laughs) (laughs) when my editors have always been saying to me, oh, just put the facts in there. Get rid of that colorful stuff. We just want the W's. (laughs) (laughs) So I, um, I just, you know, used this opportunity. I mean, I've been working full time the whole time and I just... So I had the the job on the one side and uh, where I'm always being sort of, this is what you do and no further. And so, and I use this as my creative outlet. And uh, when I would have a bad day or come home, I'd be like, oh gosh, I'm just going to go do something in that book (laughs) and push it through to the finish line. And I think that that helps our listeners think about, you know, we have a day job and yet we have this book burning in us. (laughs) Is that how it was for you? Sort of. I mean, 
I wouldn't say the topic itself. I've never been like sort of crazy about the ideas of infidelity or, but the sort of play that goes on in for the public in terms of, you know, we're going to go out and beg forgiveness or, and, and all the sort of machinations behind that, that has always really interested me. Like what are, what are political consultants telling them? And what does that say about us as voters? And, and it's interesting, these moral dilemmas that you're describing, because I always love to scroll to the bottom of LinkedIn profiles and the bottom of resumes. And I see that, you know, you have religious studies in your background. (laughs) You wrote your thesis on on Catholicism. What is it about these moral issues that help inform the work that you're doing? Well, that you're probably the first person who's asked me that question. (laughs) I am a really committed wife and mother. That's been super important to me in my life was to have a partnership where we were honest with each other and best friends. I think it's been one of the most rewarding relationships I've had. Thanks for sharing that. And so thinking about continuing our our thought on the creative process. So you're bringing the book together. Did you know your point of view going in? Did you have your own book creative brief that said, this is the point that I'm trying to make here? Or did that evolve through the process? Definitely evolved. I had a, an idea with together with my literary agent. She said, oh, it looks like Hillary Clinton's going to be running for president. And we, you know, maybe you should write about, you know, why is this marriage still together? And, and nobody's written that. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And then I just started down the road of my own cogitation. I just thought, oh, let's find some other couples. Let's find the um, what the commonalities are. And then I got uh, most of the way to the end of the process. And a book editor said to me, well, can't you like sum this up in a little thumbnail or something? And that's when I came up with the Elizabeth Woodville white queen concept. And, and I rated the various women on um, a scale of one to 10 on how much I felt they fit her personality motivation. And what about what's next on the horizon? You know, we were talking about some of the things that are developing in the news and business and the corporate world, but also our world in general, our social fabric. But where do you see your next project? I think I've I've been really interested in, um, I came across one of the Roosevelt sons who tried to have his fourth wife committed to a mental institution in order to take her money and uh, marry another woman, fifth wife. It didn't happen. She prevented it. Her name was Minowa Bell. But I was fascinated by this. And I mentioned it to my sister, who had also done some research about a a rich couple in um, Virginia, where the brother had had his brother put into an insane asylum. And so I thought, well, this is an interesting tactic on the part of the rich. So I thought thought I'd take a look at that. Yeah, well, maybe my wife isn't listening to this program. (laughs) But it's interesting, you know, these untold stories Mm -hmm. that you're describing. Do you think that the proliferation of media outlets, you know, there's more documentaries, more channels for documentaries, more podcasts, more drama, you know, so so forth. Does this make the hunt for these untold stories? more productive, I guess, for a creative person, like they're thinking there can be an outlet for the story. Oh, absolutely. I think that it's, I mean, 
on the one hand, I feel a little bit overwhelmed to try to take in all the great information that's coming out. And certainly lately, a lot of women writers have gone back and tried to say, oh, here's a person from history, a woman from history who is, you know, not recognized. And I think that's happening in um, communities of color as well. So that's amazing to to see this. Let's take another look. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I also love that there are outlets and there's a lot of ability to drive that as an individual. I mean, you don't necessarily have to, you know, get either an accept or reject letter from one of the big five publishing houses. And so, I mean, I really love that we have so many voices coming up. I see what you're saying, that you could actually launch many of these projects on your mm-hmm. own. You wouldn't need the kind of traditional outlets or production support. Yeah, I had a lot of anxiety toward that. And it slowed me down for a long time in terms of writing a book. And I thought, oh, but what if it's not good enough? You know, but then (laughs) sometimes you can say it's good enough for me. And I'm going to make sure it gets out there. And that's good. I think Mm -hmm. that's good for the creative process. And is that part of that your journalistic kind of mindset that you want to be right, you want to be accurate, you know, you want the story well told, but What's the hesitancy? Where where did that come from for you? Well, that I would put in all this work and nobody would publish it. <laughs> well, prove just the opposite. Well, what a terrific conversation. Anne Michaud has been my guest. She's the author of a terrific book called Why They Stay. I'll put all the details and the links and all your social contacts in the show notes, Anne, to make sure that we can connect with you and follow your work. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thanks for the conversation. Absolutely. And look forward to uh, reading some of your new stories there at Crane's New York. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. And listeners, be sure to come back again next time. We're going to continue our around the world journey, talking with creative practitioners, whether they be writers, artists, songwriters, musicians, even medical researchers and restaurateurs about how they are inspired with new ideas and how they organize those ideas and how they gain the confidence, as Anne's just described, and also make the connections to launch their work out into the world. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. See you soon. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and thepeaceroom.love. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer.